We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. So we are still going through the book of Philippians. About, about 10 years before he wrote this letter, uh, a Jesus follower named Paul planted the church in Philippi. So what we have here, we have a letter from a church planter to his old church. And this is a church that he prayed over and a church that he labored over and a church that he actually went to prison for. For those of us who go to this church, maybe we can imagine, maybe we can imagine Stephen Debs, the people who planted this church. Imagine that they felt called by the Lord to go plant some more churches, and that'd be sad for us, but of course they would be obedient to that, and they would go. But we can imagine they would never stop praying for us. They would never stop rejoicing in our joy and mourning in our trials. And then imagine that in a decade, they write us a letter. They write us a letter to remind us of the truth that we need to cling to, to remind us of what this church was built on. I can imagine, and we can ask them, I can imagine that that would be a love letter to us. That would be a strong and encouraging letter, be a letter that we should pay attention to. And it's something like what we have here in Philippians. And today, we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians. And we're going to go well into chapter 2. It's four parts today. First is our call. What is, what's the mission that we're on? Second is our ethic. How can we walk in the way of Jesus in light of our call? Third is our model. How Jesus the king shows us the way. And then finally, our attitude. What's our demeanor in all of this? So it's our call, our ethic, our model, and our attitude. Man, even as I say it, it's gonna be a feast, I hope, I pray. Okay, and just a heads up that this is a rich, this is an incredibly rich text. We could definitely spend like four sermons on this. I'm not gonna take that much time, but we're just gonna go through it piece by piece We're going to take this like a deep, a beautiful Bible study. That's kind of our approach today. I hope that's cool with you guys. Before we get into it, let's just pray over our reading of the word. Jesus, we are hungry. We come to you with hunger for your word. Thank you for your good word. Thank you that every single word in your book is profitable. That's hard for us to imagine, but every word is profitable to us. That whenever it is read or spoken, it goes out with power. Holy Spirit, we do need you, so we're not just hearing the word, but so we are transformed by it, please. And Jesus, we praise you because we know that your word points us to you. All the glory be yours. Please just reveal yourself so plainly and clearly to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so chapter 1, verse 27, we're going to get into it. Paul writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're seeing, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. This is a serious, this is a singular call. This is the kind of call that we commit our whole lives to, something that no matter what is always going to be our mission. What, is it, what does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, for one thing, it means that everything else in our lives could go south, but this thing doesn't change. We cling to the way of Jesus no matter what. In the, uh, in the early church, church leaders were actually being killed and being imprisoned pretty regularly. Lots of church, churches looked on as the apostles and the early bishops gave up their lives. And those churches could have crumbled, but many of them, instead, they picked up the banner, they picked up Jesus and his goodness, and they persevered. There was probably some concern, like, if Paul, our leader, if he dies in prison, or if we don't see him again, are we going to hold on? Is the church in Philippi going to hold on? And I just want to ask, do we feel that call on our lives to hold on? So strong that nothing else can make us walk away from it, that whatever happens, we're going to live worthy of the gospel. That is my prayer today. Before we get into the meat of what that means, what the call means, we should see that the call itself is not actually the focal point. The focal point as always, is the source of the call. And Paul says living lives worthy of the gospel, it's evidence of something deep, something transformative inside of us. The end of verse 27 says, then, like if you live out the call, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, then I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. So the source of our mission is the spirit. And the living worthy of the gospel is how Paul knows the Philippians are standing firm in the spirit. It's the evidence. The call on the life of the Christian is one where we are actually united with the spirit of God. What a call. So the source of the call is the spirit, and the call itself is to live worthy of the gospel. And now what does that look like? Paul starts with two characteristics of those who are living out the call. He says, one, we're striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, and two, we are not frightened in any way by those who oppose us. So Paul and the whole world will know that we're in the spirit and living out our call when we are sticking together and when we are brave together. Now, my absolute favorite passage in Harry Potter series, you thought I was going to say the Bible, but in the Harry Potter... <laughs> is the last pages of, of book six. And yes, it's a Harry Potter reference on the way. Dumbledore, for, for those who don't know, Dumbledore is this kind of old, like, sage, fatherly figure. Maybe, maybe a little bit how the Philippians saw Paul. And dump, if you will go with that, that direction with me. And Dumbledore, <laughs> Dumbledore is gone. Dumbledore is gone. And there's this darkness that's just rising. There's this hardship and maybe even this sense of doom that seems kind of inevitable. But Harry, good old Harry, our protagonist, he, he knows, he, he has this mission, and he knows he cannot back down. And that's awesome. But the thing that always gets me, the thing that literally, literally if you can believe this, I actually cried the first time I read this. <laughs> the thing that always gets me is the way that his friends react. Harry says he's leaving. He's gone off on this mission. And here's, here's what happens. We'll be there, Harry, said Ron. We'll go with you wherever you're going. 
No, said Harry quickly. He had not counted on this. He'd meant them to understand that he was undertaking this most dangerous journey alone. You said to us once before, said Hermione quietly, that there was, there was time to turn back if we wanted to. We've had time, haven't we? We're with you, whatever happens, said Ron. And Harry's hand closed automatically over the fake horcrux. But in spite of everything, in spite of the dark and twisting path he saw stretching ahead, in spite of the final meeting with Voldemort he knew must come, whether in a month, in a year, or in ten, he felt his heart lift at the thought that there was still one last golden day of peace left to enjoy with Ron and Hermione. And it's still a little bit, still kind of gets me. Our call, it brings us together. Our call, like, in the church, we should actually be friends with each other. We're in this together. And our call, or rather the source of our call, makes us brave together. Church, we need each other. Mother Teresa said that we belong to each other, and I think that that's biblical. If we're not in this adventure together, then our witness is going to be hurt, and we're not bearing out the evidence of our call. Paul says it is a sign to the world and to us to live this way. We need it, and the world needs it. I'm going to say that Chicago needs it. Chicago can be a dark and a segregated place. But we have Christians in Chicago. We got Christians in Chicago. And because we're walking in the spirit of of an almighty God, and that means listening to him, and it means being equipped by him, and it means being led by him, we can show the city what unity is. We can show the city what fearlessness is. So this is a testimony about us being in God, and it's more a testimony about God being in the world, in our city, and all powerful over it. God says the ability to live in this way is directly from him. He saves us, verse 28, and verse 29 says, it's God who grants us even our very belief in him. He initiates it, he completes it, and God can work to redeem even our suffering and our persecution. So our call, our call is to whatever happens, live worthy of the gospel. And living out the call is evidence to the world that we're standing firm in the spirit. And that looks like unity, and it looks like this divine bravery in the face of those who oppose us. Okay, that brings us to our ethic. What's an ethic? An ethic, or ethics, are kind of these moral principles, right? They guide us. But an ethic, it's like that, but it's, it's bigger than that. An ethic is our whole framework for living. It's a little bit like culture in the sense that when I used to work in nonprofits, we had a very different cultural ethic from the sort of cultural ethic I have where I work now in the corporate world. And, but it's more than that because it actually has like a moral and a very purposeful component to it. And the point is just to say that we all have an ethic. We all live according to an ethic. And Paul calls us to an entire life ethic in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, yes, we do. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love and being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
So Paul starts with, therefore. He's saying, because, you're, because of what came before, because you're standing firm in the spirit, because you're people with a call, therefore, here's how you can press on to walk in the way of Jesus. And Paul uses lots of ifs in here, if any encouragement, if any comfort, but he knows that we have these things because we are in Christ. So he is to think of it more like, since you have these things, here's your ethic. And I want us to see there's kind of a mirroring in here, a mirroring between our relationship with and through Christ, and then it mirrors our relationship with each other, other believers. And he, Paul lists four features of our ethic, and they all mirror our relationship with Christ. So the first part of our ethic unity. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so that's where we start. Thank you, Jesus, united with Christ. And it's not just united in the things that we do, although that's important. We are united more essentially than that. We are united in our very identity with Christ because of what he did on the cross, apart from what we do. So that's our relationship with God. And look at the parallel with each other in verse 2. It says, be like-minded. Be united in Christ, and now be united in mind with each other. We're united in Christ in our belief, in our suffering, and in our resurrection. Praise the Lord. And we're united with each other in our minds, in the way that we see and live in the world. Again, in the early church, what did, what did this look like? It looked like a lot of things, but for one thing, it looked like this radical new perspective on social barriers. Remember, the church that we're looking at, the church in Philippi, talk about some unity in the face of social division. The core team of this church, Gentile church plant was a fanatical foreign preacher named Paul, this rich merchant lady named Lydia, a slave, a slave girl freed from demon possession, and then a jailer and his family. So this is a church plant. Of, we got some brave women, a teenager with a dark past, and then some law enforcement. <laughs> And, and some Jewish missionaries from a thousand miles away. That is a church. That is a church for real, all right? And that church, like, in spite of all those barriers, what a, what a worldview, what a worldview they had that totally flew in the face of the Roman and the Jewish, like, norms of the day. I want that for us. That unity for them and that unity for us is, is key to our ethic. And it's a sign to the world. Like, people say, those Christians, they don't look the same, they don't act or talk all the same way. They don't even believe all of the same like, little nitty-gritty things. But they are united. Jesus, please do that for us. Second part of our ethic is love. It says, if you have any comfort from his love, and with each other we should have the same love, said verse 2. So as we're connected to Christ and comforted by his love, we should be connected to and comforting each other with love. And I will just testify that this church, I believe, does that really, really well. Colleen and I, my wife, we had, a, we had kind of a, an anxious season this past summer, and we felt what it is to be comforted. We felt what it is to be loved well. And a lot of that just comes from you guys. It comes from the brothers and sisters just hanging in there with us, just showing up, just giving a call, listening, pointing us to Jesus. There are a lot of needs and a lot of hurts and some confusion out there. And part of our ethic is to be comforters and to love people as Jesus loves us. Third part of our ethic is living in the spirit. I wish I could dig way into what that means, but 
For this, it says, if we have any common sharing, some translations say any participation, any common participation in the Spirit. And then the mirror for our relationship with each other is to be one in spirit and of one mind. So just like we have the Spirit of God, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, remember, the one that allows us to know and to love him, we should be of the same Spirit together. All of Jesus' people have the same God, all through history, all across time and space. And that's why when some people in this church, when you head off to Mexico next week, or when when we break bread or pray with people from across the church or across the city, isn't it awesome that we all have the same spirit? It's not like, oh, Joe, you have a spirit, and, and Sean, you have a spirit. It's like, no, you have the same spirit. Like, think about how incredible that is, actually. How awesome is that? It's the spirit of Almighty God inside all of you. The same spirit, and living in that same spirit that puts us all, like, on the same plane, that's part of our ethic. And then, and then lastly, the fourth part of the ethic is empathy. Paul says, if we have any tenderness and compassion, other translations say any affection and sympathy, these are things that Jesus had in abundance. And the parallel in our relationships with each other is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There's a lot that could be said about that, but I want to say that it's more than just not being selfish. It's more than just kind of like being cool with each other. We know, as Christians, part of the greatest commandment is to love others as ourselves, But here we see that it actually goes somewhat deeper than that. It says, in humility, value others above yourselves. What? This is countercultural. This looks crazy. It feels crazy. How do we do that? How do we take on the kind of love, the kind of humility where we go the extra mile, where the guy on the street asks you for a jacket and you're like, okay, where we forgive where we sacrifice our desires. Maybe some of them are good desires, but we sacrifice them for the desires of other people. How do we live out our ethic of unity and love, walking in the Spirit with empathy? Church people, we know the answer. Jesus shows us how. Jesus is about to show us how. He is our model for what it is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, and for the humility that is essential to our ethic. Jesus, y'all ready for the gospel? My favorite part. Are you ready for the gospel? All right. We're going to verse five. Here we go. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that will preach. This just preaches itself. Like, I... Just let it sink into our bones what this is saying. This is the kind of thing that totally transforms our lives. If we don't quench what the Spirit is doing and what's he doing, Paul's just given us a call. Live worthy of the gospel. He's laid down an ethic. Here's how you live radically. Here's how you live supernaturally in the world. And now he shows us the way, the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. Paul says, be like this. 
have this mindset. Jesus is in very nature God. It's the first thing Paul wants us to know. All the power and the glory and the love and the justice and the holiness for since before time began, all of it is enfleshed in the person of Jesus. But with all that, God the Son didn't consider even equality with God the Father as something to prop up his resume. He didn't consider it like he's not up there hoarding his wealth. He didn't walk away from his creation and stay in some ivory tower. He heard our cries and he laid it all down. Laid it down. And that is ultimate humility. Jesus was not selfish with his very being. Jesus was not selfish with his godhood. He was humble. And Paul shows us two, two big ways that he did this. And the first is in verse 7. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In, in theology talk, this is called the incarnation. The God who had everything, the God who was above everything, made himself nothing. The, the glorious one, the king, he gave up his throne, he gave up his crown, and he became an infant, like with skin and, and tears and dirt and pain and all that. A, a, a friend, some friends of ours a month ago had a, a baby, super cute little baby, but this is amazing to me. This baby can do nothing. <laughs> this baby is entirely and utterly helpless. This baby cannot feed himself. This baby cannot soothe himself. This baby literally can like not lift his head. And that's how Jesus came. Think about that. That's how Jesus came. He started out as a baby in this backwater tribe, in this treacherous empire. And as he, as he grew, he was what? He was a servant all the way. In Isaiah 53, we hear prophecy about Jesus, prophecy about the suffering servant. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Amen. Jesus, he sacrificed it all to live perfectly on our behalf. He sacrificed it all to point us to God, to lead us into righteousness. The incarnation, a lot of times we, we want to skip past Christmas. We want to go straight to Easter. And that makes sense, but the incarnation, Christmas, this is like one of the best, maybe the best example of humility that we have in, in the history of the world. Though it might be equaled by what Paul describes as the second image of Jesus' humility. And that is Good Friday, the crucifixion. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was captured, he was killed in our place. He took on my trash, he took on my sin and the punishment meant for me. And not only was it an act of ultimate humility, this was an act of ultimate humiliation. Later in Isaiah 53, we see that Jesus' dignity was tarnished. His reputation was destroyed. This is a beautiful and also like a heartbreaking passage. He, Jesus, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not even open his mouth. But this is the gospel, and this is what we stake our lives on. This is what we stake our reputations on. 
And if this is true, and friends, this is true, if this is true, we too can take on humility. We can even take on humiliation if it comes to it for the sake of Christ. All right, so how? How do we imitate Christ's humility in the incarnation? One way, there are many, many ways, but one way is to lay down some of our rights, some of our comfort, some of our privilege, and enter worlds not like our own, worlds of the poor and the lonely and the lost. For me, again, this is just one way, but for me, like a few years ago, it looked like moving overseas, it looked like working with refugees. For some of my friends, it looks like that. It looks like just taking massive risks with their families. Other people, it looks like financial surrender. Other people, it looks like fearless, just crazy fearless evangelism. Maybe you guys have heard about some missionaries. Missionaries, one named C.T. Studd in the 1800s or William Borden in the 1900s. These guys were both millionaires in their own day. I don't know how much they'd be worth today, but they were millionaires. And when they came to know Jesus, I think Studd actually was brought to Christ by Moody. Um, When they came to know Jesus... Their hearts just broke for the lost. And both of them, separately, like they both gave away all their wealth. They laid down their privilege. Stud went to China. Borden went to Egypt. And I'm not saying we all have to be foreign missionaries. We need you people to stay here too. But like, this is, this is a way of living out the incarnation. And I would just challenge us in this. What does it look like for us? We can all live out the incarnation wherever we are. And we, we need to be doing that. But I will say like, if it costs us nothing, we need to wonder, like, are we looking, letting the Spirit lead us? All right, and then how do we imitate Christ's humility in the crucifixion? Uh-oh. One way, one way, one way is to sacrifice our time and our energy and our money and our, some of our dignity and, and maybe our lives for the sake of God and his church. So both Stud and Borden did. On, on Borden, this missionary, on his grave is an inscription, and it reads, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. And I just want that to be said about me. I want that to be said about us. Like, apart from faith in Christ, it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no explanation for the way that he or they were living. For the first few hundred years of, of the church, it was actually one of the highest honors for Christians to be martyred. That means being killed for the faith. Martyr means a witness, a witness in blood. And here in the U.S. today, that's not at all where we are. We can praise God for that. Thank you, seriously, thank you, Jesus, that we're not being killed for our faith because we know there are brothers and sisters who are. But I do believe that now and increasingly in the future, it's gonna cost us more and more to follow Jesus. What are we willing to, to pay? Jesus paid it all. Thank you. And, and we need to be clear that God fights our battles for us. God overcomes for us. God is with us and for us. And Paul says this, this tricky thing. He says, like, there are times when being persecuted for the gospel is in some ways a privilege. He says, it was granted to you to suffer for the gospel and, and my prayer, like, that's confu- that can be tough, but my prayer is just when the time comes, if it comes, and it, it will come, when it comes, that we suffer well. So that's our model, and this is so beautiful. What a vision that this gives us for our lives. 
And you might think, humility like the incarnation? Humility like the crucifixion? I'm out. But get this, we, we don't do it for no reason. We don't humble ourselves to our doom. Yo, we have the Holy Spirit now. We have blessing now. We got freedom. We have family. We have signs and wonders now. And we have some crowns coming, okay? After Jesus' life of perfect humility, we see in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. Out of his humility, Jesus was exalted. He's in the throne room now. He's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning right now. Jesus was exalted by God, and Jesus is exalted by all creation. The angels are singing their praises, holy, 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 and the elders, they're just casting down their crowns. Here's Paul over here, and here's Lydia, and here's Stud, and here's Borden, and here's my grandparents, and here are the people who brought them to Christ, and all the saints who go before us just throwing down their jewels on this floor of sapphires and gold, just praising him. And the crazy thing is it's not just for Jesus. In the same way that we imitate Christ's humility, we also get to imitate his exaltation. We will be glorified. Jesus says in Matthew 23, those who exalt themselves will be humbled And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So as we glorify the Lord in lives of humility, we will receive glory. This is how God's economy works. Maybe maybe some of you have heard this idea of Christian hedonism. It's this idea that the more we are satisfied in God, he gets more and more glory. Like he's getting the glory. The more glorified he is, and we too receive glory. Verse 12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So with all of that in mind, with the humility that we're called to, with the exaltation that we are promised, Paul says a simple thing. So it might not like it might not seem so simple to us, but he says a simple thing. He says, "Obey, obey the model of our faith." And that word might strike fear into some of us. It might be easy for others of us. It's like, "Oh, it's no problem for me to obey." And some of you are like, "Obey, like that means I'm going to be judged. That means hard things. I mean, this is not easy." But we humble ourselves, and we don't humble ourselves just in front of the elders and in front of their wives. And in front of other humble people, we humble ourselves out in the world. We humble ourselves in front of these false, gigantic idols of pride. And then as God works in us, it's God working in us, we can respond in just wonder and thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus. And even in humility, and we can rest in the Holy Spirit and his blessing now, and we can eagerly await our exaltation in Christ. Okay, coming in, coming in hot still, but we're in our last part. Like, so we've got our call. We've got our call on our lives to live worthy of the gospel. We've got our ethic, how we're meant to live as people united in the spirit. 
we've got our model in the life of Jesus from humility to exaltation. And now Paul gives us an attitude. What's our posture? What's our posture as we put this into practice? And at first, when I was preparing, I was going to fly through this part. I just want to focus on the model. I just want to focus on the gospel, on person of Jesus. But wait, this is the gospel. I realized how essential this is. This is revolutionary. Go to verse 14. Church, this can open up like an entirely new way of functioning for us. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This is otherworldly. I want us to get a grip on how radical this this is. Do everything do everything without grumbling or arguing. This is, am I wrong? This is like a foreign idea from, from, from where we're living. This is supernatural. Not grumbling. This, this is Chicago. Our culture is saturated in this. We got some traffic. We got taxes. We have politics. And wait, like, it's fun to complain. It's fun to complain. And also, like, I have to complain, right? Otherwise, how am I ever supposed to make any progress? In some places, for real, in some places it's like supposed to be attractive to, to complain. It's, it's solidarity. It's like admirable. I'm sitting with my friends over coffee and we're just commiserating about how bad things are. This is ridiculous. Can't believe he did that. Can't believe she passed this law. But look, Jesus became a baby. Jesus dealt with more mismanagement, I think, than we did. And it's not about comparison, but like, He dealt with it. He was betrayed. He was killed. And yet he had grace. Not grumbling. And wait, this is important because he did speak truth. And he did stand up. You can be real. You can be honest. You can be raw and not be complaining. And anyone who tries to say that, oh, like you being real, you're just complaining. Like that's, that can be, that's a lie. Like they're not the same thing. We can be real without complaining, like Jesus. He was always about the real talk, but he was not a grumbler. And this very simple thing, like it's so simple, not complaining, it's so simple. It's actually super profound. If you guys are, if you're vying for a new position at work, if you're looking for favor in some relationship, and and your boss or whoever is deciding like, oh, here's, here's you over here and you're not complaining, you don't say a bad word, here's the other dude over here, and you're just like whining unattractive, like, not cool how much he's whining. Like, who, who's going to be chosen? I, I don't think that it's an exaggeration to say that this little thing, not grumbling, like our attitude, this is one of the most subversive things that we can do in our culture. Just think if the people in Chicago looked at Christians and see that we don't grumble. I'm about to test myself, but we don't grumble over the red light cameras or the mismanagement. What a witness... If we say like, or if they say rather, I don't agree with all the stuff that the Christians believe, but man, they have like, they have this composure. They're living up here. They have their eyes up here. They have so much grace. What a witness that would be. And it's not just about our witness. See the fruit. See how important this is, not for others necessarily, but for our own Christian walk. Verse 15, we do it so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. 
And then what? Then you will, this is like the implication. This is, this is wild. Then you will shine among them like stars as you hold firmly to the word of life. We shine like stars. We have the spirit now. We're shining and we have the spirit. We, we, it's part of our exaltation in the kingdom, standing out in the world so that when people see us, they're like, what is that? They see this, this, this glow, this something. And what they're seeing, that's the spirit. And then Paul says, whatever happens, our shepherds, our, our elders, their wives, they can rejoice at us. They can rejoice about the way that we're representing them and the way we're representing Anthem and the way that we are representing the body of Christ. And we can rejoice too. And that the world will know that Christians are of a different spirit and of another way and of another kingdom. All right, finally closing it out. God has this call on our lives. He gives us an ethic to live out the call. Jesus himself shows us the way in ultimate humility in his incarnation and the crucifixion, and we have the honor to pursue him in these things. And then our attitude, one of the most like ordinary and yet one of the most powerful parts of our witness, to do it joyfully, to do it without complaining. Be like Jesus, just filled with a spirit of peace and grace. We have to say, living this way, like this isn't what saves you. People live this way who, some, it can be like live this way without Jesus. Living this way isn't what saves you. We live this way because of our salvation, to live out our salvation. Jesus says it is a blessing to follow him. He says living this way, like it's gonna bless you. It's gonna bless the world. It's gonna, bless, it's gonna bring the kingdom. Please, Jesus, bring your kingdom through us. All right, and if you've never experienced like this kind of living you're hungry for it. If you, if you know Jesus and, and you're walking over here though and you're like, I want to live this way. I want to live in the way of Jesus. Or if you're sitting out here and you don't resonate with what I'm talking about. You're like, I don't know about all this, but I know that I want to be a friend of God. We can do all that now. And so we're just gonna pray. I just ask that we would close our eyes and I just wanna pray for us. Father, we are hungry. Thank you for laying a feast for us. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for making the way through Jesus. We just want to follow you. We just want to be carried by you, God. Be close to us. We know that you are here, and we just want to feel you. We want to know your presence so intimately. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for equipping us. Thank you for sending the perfect model of Jesus. We praise you. And if there's anybody here who, who hears you calling, ringing in their ears, or just hears this like soft whisper somewhere deep inside them, anybody who feels the love of God or the nudge of the Spirit to knock on your door, you say that you will always, you will answer. So I just pray for bravery. Pray for for freedom to do that, God. Let us just follow you. You call us. Thank you that your spirit enables us to do it all joyfully. Holy are you, God. Holy, holy, holy. All the glory be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.